Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's epic podcast episode is brought to you by my friends at Blue Blocks, the only blue light blocking glasses backed by real science. Blue Blocks has created three specific lenses for daytime, nighttime, and for color therapy in line with the current peer-reviewed academic literature. They're Australian-made, which means they're top quality, and you can get prescription, non-prescription, and reading lenses as well. To view the range of fashionable and science-backed blue light glasses, visit www.blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, and use my discount code LEANNE20 for 20% off. Welcome to today's podcast on intuitive eating. Sophie Bertrand is a registered nutritionist with a bachelor's of psychology degree and a master's in clinical nutrition. She's the founder of Sophie's Healthy Kitchen, co-host of the Forking Wellness podcast and co-author of recently released nutrition book, Forking Wellness. Sophie has worked with leading brands in the food industry and also works with clients in a one-on-one setting at the Retrition Clinic on Harley Street in London. Sophie uses her Instagram page at Sophie's Healthy Kitchen to share evidence-based nutrition advice and a variety of recipes that are both delicious and nutritious. On today's podcast, Sophie and I chat about intuitive eating. What is it? How is it defined? Who is it recommended for? And who isn't it? The 10 principles, how it differs from mindful eating, how it shouldn't be used as a weight loss strategy, how to honor your hunger, how to practice body love and acceptance, and how to think more positively towards our healthy food choices. You can follow Sophie on her Instagram, which is at Sophie's Healthy Kitchen, or you can check her out on her website, which is sophieshealthykitchen.com. Welcome, Sophie, to our podcast today. I'm really excited to have a chat all things uh, intuitive eating with you. Thanks, Leah. Me too. I've listened to so many of your episodes, so I'm really excited to be one of your guests. Yes, and it's such an important topic, and I'm really glad that we can dedicate a whole podcast to it as well. So I'd love to start just with you introducing yourself to our listeners, telling us about your skills, your background, your qualifications, um, and your experience as a registered nutritionist as well. Yeah, so my name is Sophie Bertrand, and my background was actually in psychology. I absolutely love psychology. I still do, and I kind of still feel like my passion lies there a little bit. But after my psychology degree, I actually did a lot of hospital placements and realized the kind of lack of nutrition support there was for certain individuals in hospitals. So I was like, actually, this could be a really interesting couple of subjects to specialize in. So I decided I wanted to be a registered nutritionist. So I went on and got my qualifications at UCL in London in clinical nutrition with the intention of kind of marrying the two subjects together because as you know, it's one thing to have all the knowledge around nutrition and food and say, you know, this is what's good for us and this is what we need to do, but to actually implement change is a whole Mm other world. So yeah, that was kind of my intention from the get-go. So after I graduated with my uh, nutrition degree, I worked for a nutritionist, Rhiannon, who kind of trained me up and taught me how to work with clients. And then I decided to go at it on my own and founded Sophie's Healthy Kitchen, 
which I do a lot of nutrition consultancy under as well. So I work a lot with brands and still working one-to-one with clients, working on them with intuitive eating. And yeah, I've recently uh, co-authored a book called Forking Wellness and we have our podcast, Forking Wellness as well, which again is where we really kind of break down all these misconceptions in the nutrition world and kind of show people that you don't have to be on a diet, you don't have to be restricting to live a happy and healthy lifestyle. I love it. And what a brilliant title, Forking Wellness. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Who came up with that? That's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, we were kind of going back and forth and we liked the use of the word fork in replacement to the swear word. So we were like trying to like kind of come up with names of how we could use it in the wellness industry and yeah just came up with forking wellness because it's like what the fork is wellness love it it. so good so good (laughs) all right well Sophie let's dive straight in um and let's start off by talking about intuitive eating so can you I guess define this for our listeners or for someone who at home may have heard the concept before or may never have heard about it at all is there I guess a definition when it comes to intuitive eating Yeah, so it's defined as a non-diet approach to health and wellness. And what we really mean by this is a framework that is made up of 10 principles that can really help you tune into your body's signals. So those signals are telling you that maybe you're hungry or actually you're full or satiated. Those signals that diet culture has basically told us to ignore over the years, because (laughs) for some reason we've been told that actually if you feel hungry, that's really bad and we need to suppress hunger. Mm. Um, But actually it's a really reliable way of knowing oh actually my energy is a little bit low we you know you need to top it up so yeah it it really helps you kind of break the cycle of chronic dieting which I think we can all relate to you know I think I don't know anyone that hasn't ever tried any kind of diet and really helps you heal your relationship with food and from a nutrition professional perspective this framework helps us keep nutrition interventions behavior focused instead of restrictive or rule focused Wonderful. And I know that we've talked a lot on this podcast around mindful eating in different episodes and how important it is to like tune in and listen to our bodies, eat slowly, pay attention to our food. But how does intuitive eating differ from mindful eating? Are they the same thing or are they totally different concepts? Yeah, I mean, they're different and it's something a lot of people get confused with. Mm. Um, And understandably, because actually mindful eating can be really helpful when you're trying to eat intuitively. But intuitive eating is, um, like I said, a framework and it's made up of 10 principles and it really helps improve your relationship with food. Whereas mindful eating encourages you to be more aware of your kind of senses and your food experience. So when you're eating, are you eating really fast? Are you watching TV? Are you looking at your phone? Are you, you know, watching a film and all of a sudden the whole bowl of popcorn's gone and, you know, you don't remember eating it? Um, <laughs> so mindful eating really teaches you to slow down and just be more mindful of your whole kind of when you are sat at the table having a meal. What does that food look like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? Whereas intuitive eating is really guiding your entire journey in regards to why am I so hungry or why am I not hungry? you know, why do I binge? Why do I feel the need to be restrictive? It's kind of that bigger picture. And then you mentioned a few times the 10 principles for intuitive eating. Can you give our listeners um, even just a quick run through of those 10 principles? Yeah, definitely. So again, sometimes this will sound really overwhelming and no one is ever expected to kind of like nail these 10 principles overnight. And particularly Mm -hmm. when I'm working with clients, I always say, you know, you can go back to one of those principles. If, If there's one that you're kind of finding really difficult to 
connect with or master, then, you know, definitely work on it because intuitive eating is a journey and it's not something that you just do. And then all of a sudden you're an intuitive eater, you know? So the first one is to reject the diet mentality. And that's often the hardest and something that will have to be worked on throughout most of the journey until you're in a really comfortable and confident place with food. But that is kind of trying to, first of all, I would encourage you to recognize what is your version of diet mentality? You know, what does that look like for you? Does it mean restriction? Does it mean calorie counting? Does it mean that you've had you should drink celery juice first thing in the morning. <laughs> Loads of different examples. So the first thing to do is recognize those thoughts and actually say no. And maybe question where those thoughts come from, why they're dictating your food choices and really work on them. The second one is to honor your hunger. And this is, again, like I said before, something that a lot of us don't do because we've been taught that hunger is a bad thing. And when we're feeling hungry, it means we're greedy or, you know, it means we're going to overeat. Whereas actually, like I said, it's a really important cue for you to understand, okay, maybe my energy's low and that's what my body's trying to tell me. Third one is make peace with food. And again, this can take a while because so many of us see food as the enemy and it's something we don't want to deal with but we obviously have to because food is every day and we need food to survive and that can be really uncomfortable for people fourth is to challenge the food police and that is that I like to refer to it as the little devil in your head because we all have an angel and a devil some are just louder than others and that devil is the one who when you open the fridge is saying have the salad because that's the healthier thing. Don't be greedy and have something else. Or you shouldn't have that chocolate bar. And if you do have that chocolate bar, you've blown it. So you might as well eat everything in the fridge and, you know, start your diet again tomorrow. Five is to feel your fullness. And again, this is something that people find quite uncomfortable because we've been taught that if you feel full, then, you know, you're greedy or you've eaten too much. But actually, we want to feel full to a degree after we've eaten. So our satiety signals can say yeah you're good you know you've had enough and we feel good for the next few hours or whatever it might be six is discover the satisfaction factor because actually feeling full and satisfied can be two completely different things and I say this to my clients all the time I'm like you can fill up on this great big leafy salad and feel really full afterwards but because you haven't satisfied completely in terms of you know you might not have had essential fats in there or enough protein your body won't be satisfied and that's why you're craving something else afterwards and you're like but I'm so full but I feel like I need to eat more and then you feel even more full and again totally. <laughs> leads to all these different negative feelings so actually discovering what satisfaction feels like to you because you could have this great big salad feel really full and not satisfied or you could have a jacket potato let's say with some greens and protein and you're like oh yeah I actually don't feel too full but I do feel really satisfied after that mm -hmm. seven is to honor your feelings without using food and this really kind of taps into those kind of binge episodes or emotional eating and a lot of us do use food as comfort that's completely normal but when you are using food every single day to cope with maybe stress or uh, negative experiences or or even positive experiences you know it can be anything that could be problematic and again that leads to feelings of guilt and I say to my clients when you want to use food to comfort yourself it should make you feel better afterwards not worse so actually 
gearing up and having other, other coping mechanisms in your toolbox, what I call it, can be really helpful. So not just having food as a coping mechanism, but actually saying sometimes I might just want a bath or I might want to go for a walk or call a friend or paint my nails or whatever it might be. So number eight is we're almost there guys (laughs) number eight is to respect your body and again this might take a bit of time and something that needs to be worked on throughout but it's actually having the courage to say to yourself actually I really do love and respect my body and I, I am going to nourish it properly I'm going to stop being so negative and so harsh when I look in the mirror because again this is something that we all do so automatically you know it's very rare that you know, great if you do, but when, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, hey, like, you look amazing today, you're going to do great. Like, it's very rare that we have those automatic conversations with ourselves. It is more so we look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm looking a bit bloated today. I don't like my legs or whatever it might be. So really changing those conversations. And the ninth is to, this one's about movement. So a lot of us use exercise as punishment or to burn calories or, you know, there's mm. awful sayings like your sweat is fat crying or whatever. <laughs> All yeah, these kind of negative them. things around exercise. Whereas exercise is supposed to make you feel good and, mm. you know, get those endorphins going and help build your strength. And there's so many different benefits of exercise. But when we're just focusing on, oh, I have to run to burn off that cake I had last night, that's not helpful. And the final one is gentle nutrition. And again, it's this big misconception with intuitive eating that it's, oh, so I can eat what I want when I want, and then I'm just going to lose control. And there's no consideration for nutrition. And that's, that's actually not how it works at all. But the reason why it's number 10 is because your relationship with food does need to be worked on before you can then maybe think, okay, I need to be adding oily fish to my diet because, you know, that's really good for my brain health and my heart health. And actually it is really beneficial to include vegetables for, you know, reasons X, Y, Z. So gentle nutrition is kind of tying in the whole intuitive eating experience and recognizing that it is possible to eat for health and for enjoyment. I love it. And that's a great summary of the 10 principles. So thank you. Thank you. I didn't (laughs) want to go on for too long, but... (laughs) No, of course. I think it gives people a really great insight into how this is different to mindful eating and how it really is almost like a way of life kind of thing. Like there Mm. is that framework as well and these guiding principles, which are really nice. And and although 10 does sound overwhelming, when you break it down like that, it's easy to see how you can just start with one or two. You don't have to be doing them all, um, you know, from day one. 100%. Yeah. And so for our listeners at home, um, are there any, I guess, like research study or evidence in terms of like the benefits of eating intuitively or following this framework in terms of eating? Yeah, we actually have a lot of uh, exciting research coming out. And admittedly, the majority of it is on females. Um, However, that's not to say that kind of males can't benefit. It's just, unfortunately, they're less willing to be kind of looked at when it comes to intuitive eating. Um, But things like body image, If you are constantly on a diet, most of the time it's because you want to look good, right? You want to look a certain way. But I don't know anyone who's constantly on a diet who is in love with their body. And actually people who do eat intuitively have been associated with improved body image and reduced levels of stress and anxiety around food. And again, that's a really big one because when you're yo-yo dieting or you're constantly restricting, there are huge amounts of stress and anxiety around food and you're frustrated all the time and you're thinking, why isn't this working? Or why do I have to diet and my next door neighbor can eat what she wants and look like however she looks? 
Um, so yeah, intuitive eating has been associated with reduced levels of stress and anxiety around food. Also improved metabolism. And again, this is a really big one that I try so desperately to explain to people. When you're constantly dieting, you are literally messing up slash slowing down your metabolism because your body is constantly trying to kind of keep up with you and it doesn't want to be really low weight you know it wants to be kind of maintaining this nice healthy weight and you're constantly trying to restrict so your metabolism is constantly altering itself to try and keep up with that so we've seen improved metabolism in those who eat intuitively and also weight maintenance which people are quite surprised about it can actually help you maintain a healthy weight. And sometimes that might be higher or lower than you think you should weigh. But there's less chaos around food and eating. And again, like I said, it's something that we have to address. There's no escaping it. We need food to live. So if you have this unhealthy relationship with it, that literally gets in the way of your entire life which sounds quite dramatic to say, but it really does. You know, I've worked with clients who their whole life is consumed by what I should and shouldn't eat. And the first thing they think about when they wake up in the morning is food. And the first, thing, the last thing they're thinking about at night when they go to bed is how much have I eaten today? What am I going to eat tomorrow? I've got to do it all again. And you can see how kind of consuming that can be. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess when I uh, think about intuitive eating, like the principles, they sound wonderful, but surely there's got to be, I guess, like some groups where, it may not be helpful for. And I get, I guess, I mean, I used to work um, as a clinical dietitian in the hospital settings and in those sort of acute settings, we've got really, really bad cases of eating disorders, severe anorexia, where clients, it is difficult to tune into your body or some of those hunger hormones and sensations are completely gone. Or, you know, on the flip side of that, in the oncology outpatient department where people might be undergoing radiation or chemotherapy, and again, the hunger's just gone and the weight's dropping off them. They just need to get calories down and really not listen to their body. It's sort of like the opposite thing. Would those groups be appropriate to say that intuitive eating wouldn't be appropriate for those sort of subgroups or any other groups that you can think of that may not benefit from intuitive eating or is it sort of that broad spectrum everybody would benefit? That's such a good question and definitely if you are in the midst of an eating disorder and you are very underweight we always recommend that you are weight restored before you start trying to you know like you said tune in with your hunger signals and things like that. That's not to say that if you are in eating disorder recovery you can't acknowledge these principles and become familiar with them but you do need to understand that like you said you will not be in tune with how hungry you are because those signals will be gone and they might take a while to come back same with satisfaction and fullness that will feel very different for you if you're suffering with an eating disorder so yes you can look at the principles and maybe once you are weight restored and maybe a bit further along in your recovery kind of think okay that sounds like it might be a good option for me but please work with a dietitian if you are very underweight. You, Like you said, you actually just do need to get calories in. It doesn't matter what it is. Weight restoration is very, very important. So yeah, if you are very underweight, I wouldn't say, yeah, you can eat intuitively because like I said, it's just not that possible at that point. Um, but that's not to say it's not for you ever. Just be aware that the hunger signals are likely not going to be there and might, may take a while to come back. For cancer patients, again, it completely depends on the diagnosis and the team that you're working with and how severe the diagnosis is. But again, it you know, it might not be appropriate and it might be a case of working with a dietitian and like you said, just trying to get calories in, just trying to get certain foods in. 
But again, that's not to say that you can't look at these principles and think, actually, I, I do want to prioritize my health and I want to prioritize foods that make me feel good and get rid of that diet mentality. And that's why the 10 principles are really helpful because like I said, you don't have to follow each one rigidly and, you know, master every single one. But there might be things in there like maybe exercise that, you know, if you are in recovery of something, you think actually what movement do I want to do that makes me feel good and I'm not doing mm. because I feel like I should be or, you know, it's going to help me burn calories. So, yeah, I think it depends on, you know, things like IBS as well and PCOS and high cholesterol always speak to your doctor and take, you know, the right advice from your doctor. But don't rule out intuitive eating if it's something that you feel like you could really connect and benefit from. Now, Sophie, I've got a hard hitting question for you. And I'm sure you get asked this all the time. And I'm sure that I have a ton of listeners at home thinking that this is going to be a great principle that I'm going to use as well while I try to lose weight. So correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. But intuitive eating and weight loss don't really go hand in hand. Is this correct? And can you tell our listeners why? Yeah, you you are correct. The thing that I like to discuss, because I do get clients come to me and say, I really want to ditch diets and that, you know, I've been so miserable for so long, but I also want to lose four pounds or whatever it might be. And I have to kind of go in and say, right, let me just explain how weight works and how your body might work and kind of, I don't know, some of the consequences of what's going on as a result of all this dieting. So we have, we all have something called a set point, which is basically this weight that our body sits at comfortably without restriction, without overeating, just kind of eating what we need, what we feel we need, being flexible with food, doing, you know, the movement that we enjoy doing and not kind of fluctuating up and down, up and down as a result of restriction and then overeating. So this set point that we have, you know, if you and I ate the same in a day, we wouldn't look the same still because genetically we have a different makeup. And th this is what I have to explain to people is that genetics have such a huge role to play when it comes to your weight and what you look like. And, you know, yes, we can do certain exercises to maybe sculpt or strengthen or make our bodies look a little bit different. But at the end of the day, the size that we have been given and the body that we've been born into there's not much room for alteration if we're eating kind of that well-balanced diet and we're not, like I said, overeating or undereating. So when you are dieting, your set point is trying to fight and get back to where it wants to be, which is why when you feel like you're eating only a thousand calories a day and you're at this plateau and you're not losing any more weight is because your set point's like, well, we've adjusted our metabolism to suit how much calories you're eating and we're not going any further because no body wants to be severely restricted, you know? Mm. So, yeah, the reason why they don't go hand in hand is because no one knows, you know, I don't know every client's set point. And I can't say to you, if you start eating intuitively, you're very likely to lose weight or you're very likely to gain weight. It's up to that individual's body as to where it sits comfortably as a result of these behaviors. And some people feel really uncomfortable with that. They don't like knowing that their weight might increase or might decrease, you know, whatever it might be. And it's very possible that, you know, maybe if you've been binging your whole life and then you start eating more intuitively, you might lose some weight. But that's very irresponsible for us as practitioners to promise. And we don't want anyone going into this journey thinking it's a weight loss journey 
we want them coming into it thinking you are now focusing on your health, prioritizing your body and re-nourishing yourself and actually respecting your body again. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really important, I guess, like point to clarify with people because I just don't want people DMing you on Instagram being like, hey, Sophie, I'd love to work with you. I really want to lose weight and work on intuitive Yeah, it's like this miracle that's like <laughs> going to solve It's like, oh, problems. my God, this is the pill that I've been looking for, the yeah. magic pill. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So thank you for clarifying that for our listeners. I'm interrupting our podcast for a healthy break to share with you today's podcast sponsor, my friends at Blue Blocks, the only blue light blocking glasses backed by real science. If you guys follow me on social media, you'll know I've been wearing my blue light computer glasses daily to help me filter down blue light, reduce computer, screen glare, and reduce my digital eye strain, and also to help me manage my pesky headaches. I've been finishing my workday feeling way more refreshed thanks to my Blue Blocks glasses. Now, Blueblocks has created three specific lenses for daytime, nighttime, and for color therapy in line with the current peer-reviewed academic literature. They're Australian-made, which means they're top quality, and all their glasses come in either prescription, non-prescription, or reading lenses. You can even send in your own frames and have the team at Blueblocks add their lens technology to your frames. And finally, Blueblocks has a mission to give back. For every pair of glasses you purchase, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then give them to someone in need. That's incredible. These guys are the best, and I'm honored to have them sponsoring this episode today. To view the range of fashionable and science-backed blue light glasses, visit www.blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, and use my discount code LEANNE20 for 20% off. Now let's get back to our conversation. Now, my next question for you, Sophie, is really around, um, I guess if somebody was listening at home thinking, you know, I'd love to get into this journey, what would be out of the 10 principles, one of the easier one or two principles to start with? Say if they felt really overwhelmed or there was a lot going on, you know, COVID's happened, the last 12 months have been pretty crazy for most people. Where would you say might be one of the top one or two principles within that framework that is a little bit easier to adopt than some of the other ones so they can, you know, start off on a good foot? (laughs) Yeah, I love this question. And like you said, the 10 principles can sometimes feel overwhelming. So I would actually encourage you to not even kind of go in on any of the principles, first of all, but one, start thinking about your food choices and what is dictating those food choices. So are they these food rules or is it because you've had a, you know, you're stressed or you're going through a bad experience or you want to change what your body looks like? Really think about what what's driving your food choices and that can maybe lead you to really think you know, encourage you to think, actually, yeah, I do need to start eating more intuitively because the reason behind my food choices is, you know, it's not positive and it's not making me feel good. So the first thing I'd say is to start thinking about what dictates your food choices. And the second thing I'd encourage you to ask yourself is what does your version of health looks like? And if your version of health is restriction and food rules, again, that's another reason to then maybe think, okay, maybe I need to look at some of these principles and change the way I value my health and then start addressing those voices in your head. So question, you know, if you've got this devil saying you can only have carbs if you've worked out, why? You know, where did that rule come from? I had a client the other day who said, you know, we were talking about carbs at dinner time, and she went, oh, but that's quite carby meal. I shouldn't really have that in the evening. And I said, why? And she said, I don't know. 
you know, we've mm. had these kind of messages being drilled into us over the years, but to really dig deep and say, actually, why do I think that? It kind of makes you think, well, maybe there isn't any value in what I believe and make you kind of think, okay, maybe I can live and have a carbohydrate in the evening kind of thing. And then that can, I would say, start with the rejecting the diet mentality, which is the first principle. And actually the fourth one as well, which is to challenge the food police. So you first want to address this diet mentality and then actually start to, like I said, question and say, why do I think that some foods are good and some foods are bad? And how can I start to normalize and legalize all these foods so that they feel more neutral? I would also encourage you to stop weighing yourself because as you will know, our weight can fluctuate three to four pounds a day, depend, especially as women, you know, depending on what time of the month it is or how many carbohydrates we had the, the day before or whether or not we're stressed or we're bloated or whatever it might be. But people will step on the scales from one day to the next and think, oh my God, I've gained three pounds of fat. And it's pretty impossible to gain that much weight overnight. It's just, That's not going to be fat, but we're letting this number dictate our mood for the day and how we feel about ourselves. And you could literally be in a great mood when you wake up and have your breakfast and feel great and then step on the scales and be like, oh, well, my day's ruined. And then you're just, you've got a horrible day ahead of you. So ditch the scales and also try mindful eating. Um, like we said before, because that can really enhance your food experience in the moment in a more positive way. Yeah, brilliant. Really great places to start. And again, even if you listen to Sophie's tips and you think, you know, those three or four are overwhelming, break them down and just start with one. Yeah, right? absolutely. And then, yeah, when that feels a little bit easier, start with another one. We basically have a mantra on this podcast, which I call 10% better. So it's like, let's yes. break everything down right to the bare minimum and take just that first little step and just that first that. little step. Yeah, so we try to ditch the perfectionism. <laughs> Definitely. I was going to say even just one small step can enhance your well-being. Now, I remember when you were talking about like honouring your hunger, that's being a really important skill and principle of intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, what would you say to someone? I get asked this question a lot. Like I get DMs from just followers on Instagram, emails from clients, and they say, you know, I haven't felt hungry in five years. So what would you say to someone? What's the first step in terms of trying to honour your hunger if you never feel hungry? Or on the flip side, you're someone who is constantly hungry all day every day yeah where do we start it's such a good question and if you are someone who has been chronically dieting for years and years of course you're going to be out of whack in regards to you know identifying your hunger signals and actually it's something that I get asked all the time it's like what does hunger even feel like and Mm. I actually um work with my clients and I kind of do something called a body scan because a lot of us think hunger is in our belly And, you know, we should be, it should be rumbling and we should have those hunger pangs, but not always, you know, some people get, they feel a bit shaky, you know, their legs might feel a bit weak or their head feels a bit fuzzy or they feel like they can't concentrate. They, they all might be signs that actually your energy is low. And just because those signals in your stomach aren't kind of making their way up to your brain, it's not to say that your body's trying to fire other signals at you to be like, hey, like I'm low on energy. And again, if you are someone that's been dieting, you've probably been quite clever at suppressing those hunger signals. So mm-hmm. they may take a while to come back. But what I also encourage my clients to do is before you eat a meal, if you think of a scale of one to 10, one being not hungry at all, like so stuffed can eat, and 10 being the most hungry you've ever been, like you're ravenous, you haven't eaten for weeks, like not weeks, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Where do you sit on that scale? 
And that kind of really makes them think, actually, how much food could I physically eat right now? So the hunger scale can be quite helpful. On the flip side of that, if you're someone that feels hungry all the time, I would be asking yourself, why? You know, what foods are you eating? Let's maybe start with a food diary and, you know, look at the types of food you're eating. Because maybe if you are, you know, in your diet mode and you're just eating fruits and vegetables, well, yeah, of course you're going to be hungry. If you're missing essential fats in your diet, you're missing any sort of macronutrient really. Again, of course, you're going to be hungry. Let's look how well balanced your meals are. And also, this is where we can start to explore satisfaction as well. But for someone who is completely out of work and they're just like, I don't know where to start. The first thing I would do is just try and adding some consistency to your diet. Even if you don't feel hungry, let's just start with three meals a day. And then I've had clients who, you know, as soon as they add some consistency to their diet, they're like, oh my God, I woke up this morning and I actually felt hungry. Like I was excited for breakfast. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to feel hungry to eat, but just trying to kind of experiment. And if your whatever your food routine might be, if it's not working for you, change it. You're not committed to this diet for the rest of your life. Try doing something that you believe will make you feel better. And again, try and get that kind of number and association with weight out of your head and really value what health looks like for you. For our listeners at home, when we're talking about valuing what health looks like, and I love that because I actually did, um, I do these quote photos on Instagram where I hold up a bit of paper and I write whatever quote's going through my head. And I did one (laughs) last night and I said, you know, like when I was in my early 20s, I said, you know, I really thought the flex was like having a six pack, having a thigh gut, exercising every day, counting my calories. Like I thought that was a flex, right? Being this like (laughs) uber fit, like you know, skinny little nutritionist. Yeah. Whereas now in my thirties, I'm like, now I understand the flexes, balancing my meals properly, having a good relationship with food, exercising mm-hmm. because it makes me feel good. Like that's the flex, right? So yeah. I really love that, like honoring your hunger and even just honoring your body in the way that, you know, I'm nearly six foot one. I'm not going to look like the tiny little petite girls that I used to grow up with and wish that I was like a size sixing in my clothing because I was never going to be that girl. Or yeah. when I look at some of like the power lifters at the gym, they're a lot shorter than me and they can build such great amounts of muscle and no matter how hard I try on my lanky frame I'm just never going to have the power lifting type body. oh my god I just so say I find it so hard to build muscle <laughs> me too I've been doing it for like eight years and it's so pathetic we look at photos of me I'm like oh I'm trying so hard <laughs> but I guess that brings me to my question for you Sophie like we're all different right we shouldn't yeah. aim to look like anyone else but How do we begin to practice that body love and respect that you talk about in terms of one of the principles? Because we had um, Dr. Libby, who's a brilliant psychologist on um, just a couple of episodes ago, and we really Mm -hmm. talked about body love and acceptance. And she was sort of saying that instead of acceptance, make it about like gratitude. Like I wake up and I'm so grateful to have this body with my strong legs versus I wake up and I love my body every day. Because that's a really hard principle to honestly tell yourself, isn't it, that you wake up and you absolutely love yourself every day. So in terms of the framework, what do you recommend in terms of like practicing body love and that respect? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because like you said, it's pretty unrealistic to go from having this unhealthy or disordered relationship with food to then waking up and looking in the mirror and genuinely meaning oh my God, you look amazing. I love my body. Mm. This is great. It's not going to happen. You know, it would be great if it did, but it's not realistic. (laughs) And what I say to my clients is at the very least, don't be negative. Don't look in the mirror and say, oh, look at my stomach or look at my legs. Just be neutral. You know, we don't have to love our bodies overnight, but at the very least we can start being a little bit less negative towards them. 
maybe like you said you know instead of being like oh you know my legs are really short and I wish they were longer actually these legs are carrying me around and enabling me to walk or run or do whatever I want to do you know health is taken for granted when we have it and Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes a health scare you know I've seen this in clients for them to be like actually maybe my weight's not that important because people are suffering in hospitals and different conditions every day and really ask yourself what would you rather be in this amazing perfect body whatever that looks like for you but actually not be very well or accept the body you've been given and thrive and just live and not let what you look like dictate your day there's always going to be someone out there that wants what you have whether that be your entire body or your silky hair or your glowing skin or your long legs or whatever it might be there's no one well no one I've met in the world is like I absolutely love every single inch (laughs) of my body it's absolutely perfect and it would be so amazing if we did all think like that and I think it's definitely possible to have more love and respect for your body and think no actually I am really happy with my body and yeah you know if I could change something I might want longer legs or whatever it might be but I'm pretty happy with it like you said I think just being grateful for what we do have is a game changer so like I said at the very least stop looking in the mirror and being like uh and pointing out everything you don't like Mm -hmm. and just try initially to start being a bit more neutral and then maybe as you do start nourishing yourself and gain more love and respect for your body you can for some for some reason we're afraid to admit that we love something about ourselves as well there's no shame in looking in the mirror and saying you look really great today or my hair looks really good today or like let's look in the mirror and say actually I'm a really kind person like yesterday I helped an old lady cross the street or whatever it might be there's so much emphasis on what we look like but we're just people and what's on the inside is so important as well more important definitely and I think it's it's really important you brought up a good point where we don't really like we take our health for granted and it's until we have a health scare. And I used to do um, one of, you know, the clinics at the hospital, which was like the diabetic clinic. And, you know, people learning that they had to start injecting insulin and testing their blood sugars multiple times a day. It was like, oh my goodness, like it's such a wake up call. And we sometimes we just yeah. don't appreciate what we have until it's almost too late, isn't it? A hundred percent. And it reminds me, I remember reading this quote once. I can't remember where I saw it. It's popped up again and again. It's something like, don't give up. 95% of your life to weigh 5% less. Like yes. I have so many clients who say, I just want to lose the last like one kilo or two kilo or whatever. Yeah. It's like three or four pounds. And it's like, but why? Like if you, yeah. if you literally had to cut out every drop of wine and every thing of chocolate and exercise every single day and, you know, give up seeing your friends because you've got to hit the gym on the weekend to lose that last two kilos, is it worth it? Like, is that life? Is that living? Yeah. I think that's such an important question to us. And it's, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's why is that extra bit of weight so important you know why is that going to enhance your life so much more and Mm. that's really something to think about you know is it really that and often often when I ask my clients that they don't know they just that for some reason we associate being a little bit smaller with being a little bit more successful and a little bit prettier and a little bit more desirable no one cares what you weigh they really Mm -hmm. don't you know these pressures come from our, our own insecurities so Again, if, if it's something that's really kind of psychologically distressing you, I would highly recommend working with a psychologist because, you know, we're nutrition professionals and, you know, sometimes 
with clients, they are also working with psychologists because, like I said, this really does get in the way of a person's well-being when you're so hung up on, you know, that extra kind of one or two kilos or pounds, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And couldn't second that comment about this, working with a psychologist even more. I think they're absolutely yeah. wonderful. And the professions of nutrition and psychology work so well hand in I hand. Yeah. But it brings me to like, I always, I love to challenge my clients on their number. They'll always say, and I obviously actively work with females to help them lose weight in a healthy way. But whenever we bring up, they bring up a number to me, I'm like, what about that number? And when I challenge them on it, they're like, I just, I just want to be that weight. And it's so funny because it's always a round number. It's like mm. 60 kilos or 80 kilos or 90 yeah. kilos. It's always a, you know, a number ending in zero. I've never had someone yeah. go to me. I wish I was 71 and a half kilos. Yeah, and exactly. it's almost like I relate that back to just the perfectionism that, that we aim for as females. It's like we need that round perfect number almost to feel like we've been successful, right? So yeah. for our listeners at home, like challenge that exact weight that you want to be and why. And if you have to give up, you know, that 95% of your life to get to that last five percent is that really worth it 100 percent. love it all right sophie well i think my last question for you um, and you've given such incredible value on this podcast already so thank you it's really around in terms of like intuitive eating and honoring our hunger what would you say to clients who are always kind of like constantly craving sugar they're like i crave sugar after dinner every night or i crave sugar all the time should i you know like honor my hunger and just eat that sugar or should i be reaching for something you know with a little bit more balance in terms of like protein and some veggie sticks or something like that like how do the principles in intuitive eating work in terms of like sugar cravings so what i like to do is ask my clients is it physical hunger you know let's say you are craving something after you've had dinner is that a physical hunger signal that you're getting or is it emotional or is it habit or is it, you know, because you fear that you've got five cookies in the fridge and if you don't eat them now, you're going to be haunted by them for the rest of the week. And that's so mm-hmm. common is that often clients are like, I don't trust myself around this food. I have to do an all, they've got this all or nothing thinking around food and I have to get rid of them now so that I don't have to address them in the week. And that's going to be the last time I eat cookies and the diet will start again tomorrow. So again, I like to bring it back to, are you genuinely hungry for a cookie or do you genuinely want a cookie? Is that going to really satisfy you right now? Or you're not that satisfied from the dinner that you had. Maybe you could have had a bit more protein. Maybe there wasn't enough fruit and veg on the plate let's have a bowl of Greek yogurt with berries and see how that goes and see how that makes us feel. But because they've got this coping mechanism of, oh my God, I'm craving sugar. I've got to eat it all now. And then I'll start again tomorrow. That habit just repeats itself over and over. And they feel like they're trapped in this mentality, but you you need to do something to break that. And if you did, let's say, have the Greek yogurt and the berries and you still wanted that cookie, cool, go and have the cookie. But do you need five? Or do you just want one? You know, what really take it back to how am I going to satisfy my body and lessen those feelings of guilt after? Because I am all for having a cookie, but not if it's going to make you feel horrendously guilty afterwards, you know? Mm -hmm. I want you to sit there and enjoy it and honor the fact that you've allowed yourself to have it because your body was asking for it and just sit and enjoy it and be like, I'm, you know, cool. I just had a cookie. And just kind of take that kind of urgency and frustration away from the food. And again, that's not going to happen overnight. I'm not expecting anyone listening to go away and now just nail what I've just said. But Mm -hmm. these principles can all in their own way help you lessen that uh, negative behavior. And again, it might not happen overnight, but it it can happen gradually and you can start to address that. 
And cravings are often a result of restriction. We know that if we tell ourselves, okay, you're not allowed chocolate anymore, that's all the body's going to want. That, mm. And that's not anything to do with your willpower. That <laughs> is, you know, your body's biological reaction to being told, oh, we're not allowed chocolate anymore. Absolutely. It's like telling a toddler, don't do that. Don't do that. Exactly. They, do? they go doing that exact same thing. <laughs> or it's like saying to me, oh, um, there's this beautiful Mercedes behind you. Oh my goodness. Don't turn around don't and look, look at it. Yeah. Like, I want to look at the Mercedes. Like, that's all I want to do. When we tell our brains we can't have something, it's all they want, right? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Sophie, that was absolutely brilliant. And I really think that our listeners at home are going to get so much value out of just understanding and appreciating what intuitive eating is and how it does dip it on mindful eating. Because I think a lot of people do think that they're the same thing. And Definitely. I see it used on social media a lot of the time, those terms basically interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I really hope it was helpful. Yeah, definitely. And then any last, I guess, like words of wisdom to leave our listeners with today? It's been a mental 2020 with, you know, the pandemic and a lot of people spent a very long time in lockdown, particularly you guys over there as well. Um, Esther, I actually fared pretty well. <laughs> yeah, you guys have had it pretty good. We're still in, I think we're just the country in the worst state at the moment. But anyway, I would we're thinking say... thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I would say to firstly not compare yourself to anyone else. Your, you know, my version of healthy will look very different to yours and, you know, your version of healthy will look different to your best friends. Um, and spend time getting to know yourself and what makes you feel good. Just focus on what makes you feel good. And that might not be anything to do with nutrition. It might be getting eight hours sleep a night or going out for a walk or, you know, moving your body first thing in the morning or chatting to your friends daily. There's so many different aspects that make up wellness. And often we get so fixated on the food stuff that, you know, you could be eating the most perfect diet, whatever that might look like. But if you're not sleeping at night and you're not talking to your friends or you're not drinking enough water, for instance, you're never going to feel like you've got the whole health and wellness thing going on. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, look at the bigger picture and focus on yourself and not what other people are doing. Love it. And doing things that make you feel good because at the end of the day, that's what matters, isn't it? 100%, yeah. Wonderful. Well, Sophie, where can our listeners um, find you? Where can, can they reach out to you? Do you do online consults? Is it just in the UK? Is it all around the world? Uh, we're, yeah, all around the world, actually, because we're now completely virtual, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> so if you'd like to get in touch, you can visit my website, sophieshealthykitchen.com, or I'm sophieshealthykitchen on Instagram. And my email is sophie at sophieshealthykitchen.com. Uh, I've also just co-authored a book, like I said, uh, which is called Forking Wellness, and you can order that on Amazon. Uh, it's available in both the US and the UK. Wonderful. And I will put all those details in our show notes for our listeners as well. So thank, thank you, you, Sophie. So it's been a pleasure. And yeah, we really hope that listeners go and check out Sophie's socials and go and um, check out the new books that she's just launched as well. Her recipes are to die for. If you want some drool-worthy recipes, definitely check out Sophie's Instagram and her new book. <laughs> thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you for having me on. It's been amazing chatting with you. Wonderful. And listeners, will chat to you in the next uh, podcast episode.